Today we're going to look at Psalm 107. It comes to us in the imperative voice to cry out to God and to thank him for what he's done for us, his goodness, and to give him thanks and praise. So it's a call to cry out and to receive his goodness. So it's a psalm of thanksgiving, really. Uh, look forward to the American Thanksgiving in a few weeks. So it maybe reminds us a little bit of uh, where we can cast our eyes and hearts in, in these days before we hit Advent. So it speaks to us both as individuals and as a community of faith. So we hear that in verses one to three. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good for his steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, those he redeemed from trouble and gathered in from the lands, from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south, Psalm 107, one to three. So a call to praise. So just as in our worship services, we often start with a call to worship, here the psalmist is calling us to focus on God and to give him thanks and particularly to thank him for his goodness and his steadfast love or his compassionate love which endures forever. And so a theme all the way through this psalm is that word steadfast love which is the Hebrew kesed. It's a major theme in the psalms reminding us of God's fundamental character, characteristic of compassionate love, steadfast love, he is there for us in love. God is love, we hear in, in John. So the, the Old Testament in the Psalms is, is making that a major focus as well. So a call to give thanks for his steadfast love. His love is there for us all the time. No matter what ups and downs we go through, he may be disappointed in what we do, he may, you know, desire change, but that does not change his fundamental love for us. We really need to hold on to this. We need to hold on to God's affirmation for us as his creatures. He is creator, we are creatures, we are very important to him. He loves us with steadfast love. And then the, the call goes, let the redeemed say so. The redeemed is related to that word goel, the practice of the nearest relative caring for someone uh, when in need, that they, they are there for you, they come alongside you as a relative and help you. So when we hear that word redeemed, we're, we're reminded that God is our redeemer, he is our goel, Jesus is our goel, he's the one who redeems us, that word. Again, it's the story of Ruth, Naomi, and Boaz, when Boaz acts as their redeemer. He comes alongside of them as nearest kin to take care of them. So God's compassionate love, for he is our redeemer, and he gathers us from all over the earth, all four points of the compass, north, south, east, west. God gathers his people. So in that, it reminds us of God's concern for, for humanity, for all of the world. Everyone, seven and a half billion people from all over the globe, minder, let's say, of the global church. You know, our church is one small church right here in Weston. 
We have other churches, bodies of Christ in Weston. We have hundreds of churches throughout the city of Toronto. We are all the body of Christ. We are not in competition with one another. We are there all looking to God as his people, trying to make a difference for him as his hands and feet. And then it goes all the way around the planet. Christians of different cultures all around the world, everybody looking different, speaking different languages, acting different, different traditions. But it all comes together. God in his global church. Every nation. So it's, it's a reminder in this call to worship of, of the wideness of God's mercy. Caring for everybody, for all of humankind, this psalm will say, beyond one faith tradition, God concerned for everybody. That's where we begin. So God in his compassionate love for you and for me, for your family, for your kids, your friends, God's compassionate love. And interesting, in this psalm, there, it, it's not specific to Israel. It's not limited in any way. There are no descriptors in this psalm of God's actions in their history and so on specifically. It speaks of the redeemed of the Lord. That's it. The redeemed of the Lord all around the world. All those that God claims as his own people. That's part of this psalm. So it's, it's not limited to one creed. Not limited to one perspective. It's God's concern for humankind. For humanity, it's a lovely psalm in that way. So it begins as his call to worship, a wideness to God's mercy. We can jump ahead to verse 8, which we have a refrain that happens five times in the psalm. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wonderful works to humankind. That refrain will come back time and time again. God's love for humankind, his wonderful works for humankind, for all of us. So the psalm begins then with this call to worship, calling you to worship God, to look to him, to trust in him, depend on him, for me to do the same. It's this invitation to cast our eyes on him and pay attention to God, the giver of life, to give thanks for the day that he gives us. So having said that, in verses 1 to 3, we have four examples of God's redemptive power in verses 4 to 32. The first one is for those who are lost. Verses 4 to 9, you hear it. Some wandered in desert wastes, finding no way to an inhabited town, hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted within them. Picture is of, of people who are moving across the desert, and there are no clear roadways that are marked out, and you, you just have a, a sense of your direction, and it's easy to get lost. They wandered in desert waste. Think of the Middle East. Much of it is a desert, the Sahara. How do you find your way? People would get lost. And then there, now there is this thanksgiving that they, they found their way. God intervened. Remember my dad telling me stories of he and Earl, that they did some hikes in England. They did a couple of hikes right across the, the country, east to west. And much of it was on trails that weren't marked well, and you're out on the moors and just walking, hoping you're going in the right direction. And my dad was saying many times, they got lost. 
they had to retrace their tracks and go five miles out of the way down a way to kind of get back to where they were supposed to go. And when they finally found it again, they were happy and getting a little frustrated when they're lost. So you can imagine what it's like for the people. Let's say coming back from exile. Babylon, coming back to Israel. Well, they got to get there. That's ah, a long way. Roads aren't really well marked. No defined routes. But the wanderers are retrieved. God leads them and they finally come to their destination. He meets their needs. Verse 5 talks about the hungry and thirsty being, their needs being met. How hungry and thirsty are we to know God and meet with God, experience him. Look to God each day. Then in verse 8, we see that refrain, the end of this first unit. The lost are found. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wonderful works to humankind. That's the refrain. There in the synagogue, they would be singing that as a chorus, just as we sing choruses. They would sing that. So there's thanksgiving for those who are lost, and now they were found. Secondly, verses 10 to 16, second example, prisoners released. Some sat in darkness and in gloom, prisoners in misery and in irons, verse 10. And here we have overtones of the Benedictus, Zechariah's song in Luke 1, and also of Christ's own statement in Luke 4 when he gives his first sermon. Jesus says, he has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free. Prisoners who are in dark and cramped spaces, jails, little cages, some places on our planet, released. You can just imagine how thankful they are and happy they are to get out of these tiny spaces that they've been cramped up and can hardly stretch out. Prisoners released. God releases them from their bondage, shatters the bars of the cages. And then in verse 15, you'll see this, the refrain again. Again, let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wonderful works to humankind. It, the second example ends the same way. Those who are in jail are oppressed, they are released, they are delivered. And they give praise to God, thanks to God. That's the second example. Thirdly, verses 17 to 22, the sick are restored. Sickness and guilt, both. Some were sick through their sinful ways and because of their iniquities endured affliction, verse 17. So it's sickness just because they've picked up some bug and there's sickness also because of guilt laying heavy on their heart and mind and they're just carrying them. But even in that case where they are sick because of their own causes, they too cry out and God saves them. And we hear the same refrain in verse 21. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wonderful works to humankind. And then verse 22. And let them offer thanksgiving sacrifices and tell of his deeds with songs of joy. How happy are we when we have been sick and then our body slowly recovers? All, all healing comes from God. He is involved in the entire process. You may have an injury and it takes time for that injury to heal. And finally, slowly, you recover. How happy are we when we are sound in body and mind once again? 
And we see again the worship component of this. Notice in verse 22, and tell of his deeds with songs of joy. Just as an aside, all the way through the, the, the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, there are examples of people praising God and using song as an expression of praise, songs of joy. The Psalter is full of those kinds of references. So we may wonder, well, why, why in church do we sing? Why do we sing so much? Why, why do we do that? Well, singing has always been part of worship. This psalm, written some thousand years before Christ even came, the people are singing. They're singing their praise to God. And we are invited to do the same through a variety of music, a variety of types of presentation, all of it. We give praise to God through this intensified speech, which is music. So we give praise to God. We've been sick, but he has delivered us. And then fourthly, there is the storm-toss rescued. I read this, I, I relate to that as a scuba diver. I, many times I have been sick, sick with the motion in the water. And when you are seasick, it's a pretty terrible feeling. You feel like it's the end. Notice verse 27, they reeled and staggered like drunkards and were at their wits end. That's pretty intense. But when you're really seasick, that's how you feel. You just want, you'll do anything for it to end. So the storm-tossed are rescued. Interesting, Israel was not really a sea-navigating uh, people. They, 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 they didn't have a lot of natural ports on the Mediterranean, so it wasn't a huge part of their commerce, but it was there, particularly as they moved to the south. And they had ships, and there are different references in the Old Testament to, to show that. And of course, the New Testament, the disciples sailing and fishing on the Sea of Galilee. So because of that, the people weren't used to being out on these massive bodies of water like the Mediterranean, and there was a certain fear uh, to going out there, seeing the wildness of the waves. And here we have a description 23 to 32 of almost a hurricane. The waves are like mountains. They go up and they go down. But finally they are brought to harbor, a bit like Jonah's story. And again, what do we see in verse 31? Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wonderful works to humankind. And then again, congregational song, verse 32, let them extol him in the congregation of the people and praise him in the assembly of the elders, praising God for his goodness. So we have these four examples of the psalmist saying that we find ourselves in these tough situations like these and God enters into our experience and works on our behalf. So the point of the psalmist is for us to see ourselves in these examples of plight and salvation. They are not just for someone else. We are to introduce ourselves into these examples. It's not just for them, it's for us. So I like what one commentator, James May, says, we are the hungry and thirsty who have been fed. We are the bound who have been liberated. We are the sinners deserving death who have been given life. We are the fearful before the terrors of existence 
who have been given hope. We are these people to go and enter into it ourselves and to recognize, okay, if, if not these exact situations, where have we needed God's help? Where have, me, where have we made wrong choices, bad choices, and come to God to help us? We can all relate to this. So it speaks to our own poverty of mind and spirit, our own inward poverty, calling out to God. Depending on God. Why? Because God is a God of steadfast love. God is a God of compassionate love. And Jesus is ultimately our greatest example of that. Jesus working on behalf of all those that he ministered to. So it starts with a call to worship and then there are these four big examples of how people were in need and cried out to God and God spoke to them. So then as we close, what, what, what is there for us to take home? Well, it's interesting, verse 43, the last verse of this psalm, gives us one suggestion. Note, let those who are wise give heed to these things and consider the steadfast love of the Lord. Consider the chesed of God. Give heed to these things. And so in this psalm, there is an instructive dimension. There, there's something there prodding us to actually reflect, to reflect on our lives and to see how God has broken in our lives, into our lives to draw us to himself. Where, he, where has he acted on our behalf? And I think anyone listening to this, anyone, there are going to be places where you can recognize something happened in your life for good. Maybe you didn't think it was God, maybe you didn't give it any kind of name, but something happened, some change happened, and it worked out for your good. And maybe you just call it luck, maybe you just call it a coincidence, some close car, call in a car, you know, possible accident, or maybe an accident and you actually escaped, un uninjured, whatever. COVID situation. You're in some sort of work situation and all kinds of people around you get COVID and you didn't get it. Why? So the psalmist is inviting us to reflect on such things. Let those who are wise, wise give heed to these things. We hear that in other places in the scriptures as well. For example, Hosea, the end of the Hosea, those who are wise understand these things. Those who are discerning know them. The prophets, the writers call us to be attentive and discern God's movement in our lives. So as Kidner says, the commentator, not a shallow response to what God has done in depth. So to pay attention, pay attention, not just kind of sailing on down the river. Pay attention to what happened. And when we do pay attention, secondly, we, we then see these paradigms of deliverance. Paradigms that speak into our own lives. Note, hunger and thirst, darkness and gloom, sin and affliction, storm and sea. Whatever ways those speak, paradigms of deliverance. So secondly, then, where are we experience our own adversity? We all experience adversity in some ways. 
In your life, where is there adversity touching you? To pay attention to that and ask yourself, okay, what is God saying to me in the midst of this adversity? How is he speaking into your life? Because he is. But we need to pay attention. We need to reflect. Thirdly, if I've already alluded to it, we see all of the examples of Jesus speaking to all of these situations. Jesus feeds the hungry, he frees the oppressed, he heals the stick, he calms the storm. He does that and he will calm the storms in your life as well. Jesus acting then and Jesus acting now, I will never forsake you or leave you. He is with us. He's with us as a church community coming out of this COVID reality. Lots of questions out there as to what we will do. We trust in God's direction through his Holy Spirit. And then finally, fourthly, always we are called to understand the scriptures, not just have them explained to us. It's not just about understanding or explanation, it's about experiencing. Experiencing the text, experiencing the word, experiencing God's kesed, his compassionate love. That's always the reality to understand God in his experience with us. God is not just an idea. He's not just a word on paper. He's not just a three-lettered word, G-O-D. God is the creator, redeemer, who engages us. He is imminent with us, we said. So the psalmist says, look, taste and see that the Lord is good. Psalm 34, taste and see that the Lord is good. So can we imagine our lives with God. Can we imagine our lives with the Creator? The Creator is walking with you. The Creator of the universe, the universe maker, made personal in Jesus, is walking with you and with me. Imagine that. Imagine your life with Him. Our little time here on earth, it's just, it's just a drop in the bucket compared to the whole thing. Put on the wide lens. God wants to give us an ocean, wants to give you an ocean, not just a few drops. So will we enter into that reality? The, the temptation is always to say no to that, always to dwell on whatever the hurdle is and to forget the bigger reality. God is there for you and for me. His goodness for you and for me. May we thank him. May we receive his kesed, his compassionate love, not forget it, even in the times of trial like Job of old. Even if you slay me, I will not forget you. That's the big picture. The psalmist in Psalm 107 is inviting us along that way. May we say yes, may you say yes this week in Christ's name. Amen.